If God is good, then why evil? Why do so many bad things happen in life? How do we explain terrible suffering? This is one of the most difficult questions known to mankind. Today, we'll examine it. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zuckerman. Today, Dr. Zuckerman takes on the problem of evil and its crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now we go before a live audience with Dr. Zucharin in part two of Hope in the Face of Evil. There's a much bigger picture at play here. There was a young girl, I remember this story, her grandfather was sick in the hospital and he was dying. She prayed hard that God would heal him and restore him so that he could live for several more years, but uh, he died. And the girl rejected God from then on. Said, I prayed to God, he didn't answer my prayer. He doesn't exist. Either that or he's a cruel. I can't believe in that kind of God. Wouldn't heal my grandfather and let him live. Years went by and she had children. And one day she got a knock on her door. And uh, she opened the door and there was a lady there with her teenage boy. Stranger, you know. Then she goes, yes, can I help you? And she said, you know, is this so-and-so's house? And she said, well, no, not anymore. It's mine. You know, that was my grandfather's. And this was my grandfather's house. And she says, is your grandfather's name? Da, 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 da. And she said, yes, it is. And she said, you know, when your grandfather died, my son was dying in the hospital. He needed a new heart. And now we were praying. Everyone's praying that there would be a donor that would arrive. And we waited several days and there was no donor. Finally, a donor appeared. There was a match. He was able to receive a new heart as a young child. And he's alive because of what your grandfather did. And we came here, he's a 14 years old now, we came here to thank you for what your grandfather did and what your family did, you know. And thing, it finally hit her there, you know. Wait a minute, there's a bigger picture here. You know, what appeared to be evil and unjust at this time, somehow God used it okay, for his purpose. And although it was very difficult for her, her grandfather died, he saved the life you know, of this young boy. And somehow we've got to understand that, that all that goes on, somehow it's in part of God's big plan that is much bigger and more complicated than we can ever fathom. Uh, Joseph learned that, right? The last chapter of Genesis, after being prime minister of Egypt, you know, after being uh, sold into slavery and mistreated and then accused of adultery and thrown into prison for seven years, you know, all of this. Near the end of his life now as a grown man, when his brothers come to him, right, and ask for forgiveness for what they did years ago, throwing him in a pit, uh, selling him off into slavery, he can finally understand now, wait, there was a bigger picture involved. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of lives. And Joseph said, what you did, you intended for evil, but God used it in his ultimate plan and used it for good. There was a purpose here. Okay. Maybe we'll see it in this lifetime, maybe we won't. 
We do not know all things. We do not know the end of all things. But an all-knowing God knows both. Somehow there's a bigger picture there and it all works out in his plan. Even evil and suffering, he can use it to bring about his purpose, which is always for his glory and our good, even if we can't see it or understand it. Paul Harvey said this once to a man who was dying of cancer. I do not believe that the divine architect of the universe ever builds a staircase that leads to nowhere. Some pain we know has some good purpose. Warning, pain in the chest means I better go in and get this check. Or pain of getting too close to the fire. You, know, you may be in sin or some kind of behavior that is dangerous and that's a warning. Or second, we learn more through pain than pleasure. Few enduring lessons are learned through pleasure. Most are learned through the difficult times. Or discipline, Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines those as a father. You know, Everyone he loves, God's discipline, disciplines. Or character formation, right? building us, uh, refining us as we pass through that fire to be the kind of person he wants us to be and can use. I think about, um, I believe it, it's Kerry Collins, the quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, as a very young quarterback, he led the New York Giants to the Super Bowl. But after that, he got real brash and cocky and, you know, wasn't listening to the coaches. The teammates hated him because, you know, he was just out there to pad his stats, you know, and get into the Hall of Fame. And he didn't care. He, you know, he wanted fame and all that. Well, eventually his career went downhill. Right? He ended up going from team to team, sitting on the bench. Finally, he ended up as the backup quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, and then the first-string quarterback got hurt. He came in, and he led the Titans all the way to the AFC Championship, and uh, I had one of the best years of his career. Well, what happened during those years in which he was just going from team to team as a backup? Well, he was getting humbled. His character was being refined. So by the time he was with the Tennessee Titans, his teammates love him now. Why? He listens to them. He works with them. Okay? He's a great teammate now. And he listens to the coaches. And now the coaches are looking and saying, now we can use this quarterback. Despite the fact that he had a cannon of an arm, he didn't have the character. We can't use him. The guy doesn't listen to him. He doesn't stick to the plays. Teammates hate him. You know, they don't play hard for him. But now that he's home, he's got the, a much stronger character, much more humble guy. Coaches are looking and saying, we can use this guy. And his teammates love him. Uh, that happens to a lot of us too, right? God wants to use us, but he can't because of the sin that we hold and the character deficiencies we have, and he needs to refine us to a point where he can finally use us. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, as pastors, you know, pastors go through that, right? You know, when I went into the ministry, you know, Bruce Vaughn gave the call to ministry, and, and as a young man, I stepped up and I said, God, I want to be on your football team, but I don't want to be a lineman or defense. I want to be the quarterback. I want to be the running back. I want to be a major player on your team. All right, so I'm coming on board. Use me, and I want to be a major player on this team. Well, you know, it took a while, you know, um, for God to refine my character, you know, uh, going to conferences with young pastors, you know, you're over there. Oh, how many in your church? Oh, how many in your church? You know? <laughs> what conference were you invited to speak at? Oh, none? Oh, yeah. I, I invited gems. Oh, you know, kind of stuff, you know, you know uh, kind of thing. 
Um, but then it took a while, and uh, about five years ago, you know, came to a point where uh, uh, so much had happened in my life. I was finally willing to say, God, I want to be on your football team. If you want me to be the water boy, I'm happy to be the water boy. You know, if you want me off in Asia or Africa to die as a missionary in obscurity and no one's ever heard of Pat Zuckeran, I said, I'm fine with that now. All right, use me whatever way you want. And, uh, you know, it was one of those moments in my life where I felt God saying, hey, all right, now I can use you, Pat. You know, and so it takes uh, some pain and suffering to refine our character to where God can, we can really experience God and he can use us in a way he wants to. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So for the Christian, our pain and our suffering has a purpose. Even if we can't see it, there's a purpose there. There's a reason behind it, even if we can't see it. For the atheist, there isn't any because life is ultimately meaningless. For the pantheist, your goal is to escape it. And for the Christian, it's to know there's a purpose somewhere behind this, to grow from it in character and strength uh, and in our relationship with God. Now let's get to the heart issue, the religious problem of evil. How do I deal with evil and suffering in my life? You know, um, there are three general responses when we face evil and suffering. We're either surprised by it, like it's not supposed to happen to us. In a sin-fallen world in rebellion to God, you know, we get surprised when, evil and, when we encounter evil and suffering. Or we ignore it, or we react immaturely to it. Now, all three okay, can be harmful to our witness for Christ and in our personal lives. And there's many different kinds of advice you're going to get Here's just five that uh, I have found helpful uh, in my life. Number one, it is healthy to express our emotional pain. It is not unspiritual to express it. Hey, read the Psalms, like Psalm 13. David is saying here, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day so have sorrow in my heart? How long will my tr enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Right? You look at the great saints in the Old Testament. Uh, they weren't afraid to express their frustration, their anger, their emotional pain to what was going on to them, to God. Hey, God is big enough to handle that. And for some reason, you know, there's a myth out there that, oh, if you're Christian, you know, it's just smile all the time. You can handle it. it it's it's uh, unspiritual to be angry and upset at God, you know. No, it's healthy to express our frustration and our pain. And as Christian brothers and sisters, we've got to allow those going through a difficult time to express their anger and their hurt. Uh, even towards God, and not sit there and give them those quick cliche answers or condemn them for doubting or being angry and frustrated at God. Okay? God is big enough to handle that, and we've got to allow them okay, to hurt and express that anger. That's a healthy thing to do. You see that throughout the Psalms. Second, 
there are no cliches or quick answers that will take the pain away. When people come to me and say, hey, you know, Mr. Apologist, my son died or whatever, give me an answer. You know, and one of the first things I do, I say, is I'm going to give you a warning right here. No matter what I say, whatever I say is not going to instantly take away the pain that you feel now. And I said, it might give you some comfort, it might help you to process things, but it's not going to take it away. It may be years before you're finally, you know, these deep scars finally begin to heal. All right? There's no quick cliches or quick answers. Okay? That's kind of annoying, right? Uh, when people are going through a difficult time. Oh, for God can use a man, he must break a man. Oh, God's going to use you someday, you know. Hey, my wife just died of cancer. I don't care if God uses me. I could care less, you know. Oh, you got a great ministry to, you know, uh, you know, a guy who's uh, uh, just been divorced. Oh, you got a wonderful ministry to divorce people. God wants to use you to touch divorced people. That guy don't care. You know, that guy's in tremendous pain, you know. He doesn't care, you know, he's looking saying, where was God? We were all praying, you know, and she ran out the door with so-and-so, or he ran out the door, left me with three kids I got to raise now. You know, where was he, you know? You think she wants to hear, oh, God's going to use you in a great ministry with divorced people, you know? Right, okay? That's what Job's friends were condemned for at the end of, jo at the end of Job, right? They were condemned because they had given all these cliche answers. They had God in a formula. Your sin, then you suffer. So Job, you must have sin in your life. And Job said, what is it? Name it. And they said, well, you got to be. You know, you're being proud. You're saying you're righteous. Come on, there's got to be sin. That's why all this evil is happening. What's that sin? And Job's going, what? Tell me. Tell me what it is. They had God in a formula. They had these quick cliches. And in the end, God said, your view of me is way too small. Those quick cliche answers don't work. Number three, when we suffer, by the way, you know, I remember I was uh, sitting with a friend he asked me to sit with him uh, because we were sitting and he wanted me to help if I could. There was a guy coming in. His wife had left him for another guy and, and just, you know, cleaned him out and everything. So he was sitting there and uh, my friend Rick was in there and he said, Bob, great to see you. Great to be here. And Bob, as soon as Bob sat down, he said, he said Bob, God's going to use you greatly someday. God's going to use you in great ministry to divorce people. And Bob said, Bob just kind of stared at him. So he goes, Bob, say it. Say it, Bob. God's going to use me. And a great way to reach the force is, say it, Bob. You know, and Bob just looked at me and goes, Rick, I could care less what God wants to do with me. In fact, I don't want God to use me. Oh, I was faithful to God. What would happen? He said, no, Bob. Say it, Bob. God's going to use me. And I kind of pinched Rick. And I said, Rick, shut up. <laughs> he said, you're being an idiot, you know. Come on. There's no quick cliche answers. Three, when we suffer, we can draw comfort from God who understands our hurt and cares about us. Okay? When you experience something, a divorce, the death of a child, uh, a loss of a loved one to cancer, what kind of people do you look for? What kind of people can best minister to you at that time? Yeah, people who went through the same thing as you. Okay? That's why support groups are designed uh, for people who have gone through things like you. Why is that? Why are they the best to go to? They can understand it. They've got an insight. They can relate with you in a much deeper and meaningful way. And they've got insight that, that uh, can give you encouragement and comfort at that time that maybe nobody else can give. 
Okay? And that's why you draw closer to them in times of that. That's what's going to help you pull through. One thing to understand, and, and this is not a cliche, you know, God understands. He has experienced our deepest suffering and pain and evil. And instead of pulling away, okay, those are times when you need to draw near because he has experienced those. See, one of the unique things of Christianity is we don't have a God who stood back indifferently and said, oh, you guys are going through a tough time. See, I told you not to disobey. Oh. No, we have a God who came into our world and suffered with us, entered into our world of suffering and pain, came alongside us and suffered in our world alongside us and experienced what we experience. He didn't stand by indifferently in heaven going, oh man, I hope you make it. No, he came in and engaged and entered into our world of suffering and pain and he went through it with us and experienced all that we do in a much deeper way. And I was sitting with a lady and she goes, God doesn't know. God doesn't know what it's like to, for someone to have an unfaithful spouse. God does. Read the book of Hosea. He compares Israel running off and fornicating with foreign gods. And he compares that to what? Adultery. And he has Hosea the prophet marry an unfaithful wife, a prostitute. And she goes and prostitutes herself and he finds her in the gutter. She is so prostituted herself, nobody wants her. And he goes and rescues her and redeems her, brings her back and she goes right back and prostitutes herself again. And he's got to feel that scar rip open again and again and again. And he says, Hosea, you got to live this because that's what I feel. Okay? God doesn't know what it's like to, to lose a young child. Well, sure he does. You know, millions die every day giving God the middle finger. Right? Thank God, I don't want you in my life. I'd rather live eternally away from you. Okay? Uh, God sees that. Those he created... Those whom he loved, the world in which he created for, and he's shouting his love at them every day, give them the middle finger and said, I'd rather live apart from you than to live in your presence every day. You know, uh, does God understand what it means to lose someone to cancer? Sure he does. Right? On the cross, when Jesus said, my father, why have you left me? And at that point, God could not, uh, come in, God had to turn away, right? And when Jesus says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? At that point, God had to turn away and allow sin and evil to run its course through his son, Jesus Christ, and he had to leave him on the cross. And God understands how we feel. And it's at that, these times where we've got to draw closer to him than separate. Right? Uh, we can have hope knowing that God is in control working all things somehow for his purpose, which is always for his glory uh, and our good. You know, like Joseph found out, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Uh, I remember I did an a internship at a church in Hawaii, a small church, and things went great. You know, we had a great youth staff. The youth group was thriving. Sometimes it was bigger than the general congregation. You know, it was just great. Um, I was having a great time. Some of my best buddies had come to Christ and they were on youth staff with me and everything was great. And everyone was talking about, okay, now, now when Pat graduates, he's going to be here at this church and we're going to, uh, well, for some reason, I mean, I did a lot of things, uh, lousy, being a young guy. 
the the pastor didn't want me back, and you know he started a smear campaign, and and uh, I remember coming home for Christmas break, and I sat down in front of the deacons, and he caught me off guard. He brought another pastor in, and he said, "Let me tell you something about this guy, Pat Zukaran," and he just started accusing me of all kind of things, you know. And then this pastor, he's an older guy that everyone respects, he said, I had Pat in Sunday school. Let me tell you about Pat. Uh, and we was all done. I looked at him and I said, Dave, I never was in your Sunday school class. And he kind of looked at me and said, sure you were. And I looked over at Charlie and I said, you know, I was in this deacon Sunday school class. All through, you know, my senior year in high school, right here. And the deacon just put his head down. <laughs> and I was like, speak up, say something, be a man. You know, he just... He just and so, you know, I got leveled with all these charges, and then uh, I said, I said, all right. I said, I will not be applying here. I'll, uh, you know, go elsewhere. And I got up, and I was absolutely heartbroken. And the, you know, pastor, uh, the older pastor grabbed me and said, let's pray for you, brother. He said, and he prayed for me, you know. And I walked out of there so mad, you know, I didn't know what to say. I was so speechless. Got on the plane. I, uh, at the airport, I told all the youth staff, I said, I'm not coming back. We had this meeting, this is what happened. And, uh, you know, they cried, and I got on the plane all the way back to L.A., four-hour trip, I cried all the way back to L.A., saying, God, why do you, you know, I came to serve you, you know. You, you ripped me off, God. You know, this is a big rip-off, uh, all that. Well, you know, finished off at Dallas, and then all that. Well, uh, two years ago, I went back home to Hawaii to one of the families out there, the Archibalds, to visit them at their store, and, and we were talking, and she came out with a folder, like that thick. I said, what's in that? She goes, this is every newsletter you ever, you know, every support letter that you've ever sent. Uh, I've kept them for the last 20 years. Wow, you know, so I was looking through them, because I don't even have them, you know, <laughs> and stuff, and uh you know, she looked at me and she said, you know, Pat, uh, back in that church in Hawaii, we all wanted you to come back here and work. Uh, we were all heartbroken when um, uh, you weren't coming home. We wanted to push for a congregational vote because we didn't know what had happened. We were all in the dark. We just were waiting for you to come home. But uh, she looked at me and she said, but you know, God had a plan in it after all, didn't he? And I said, you think so? She said, Pat, you were here in Hawaii, you know, in our small little church. You'd be so frustrated. You'd never do the things that uh, God is having you do now. You'd never be anywhere in the world getting, you know, you were able to get this degree, that degree. You got a radio show. You know, God had greater plans for you. You were just too stubborn to be open to him. And so, he, you know, there was a plan in it after all. You know, and, and that's the way it needed to be, and it worked out for the best, even though it really hurt at that time for all of us. And I looked and I said, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I guess all this would not have happened had I stayed, you know, uh, in Hawaii. And so she said, there was a plan in it after all. So somewhere, through our evil and suffering that we face, there is an ultimate plan, even if we can't understand it. And finally, this is not the end. And we have something to look forward to, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the return of Christ. And he says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. 
for the Christian, what's the ultimate end? What's the ultimate worst thing that can happen? We have a great reunion in heaven with those we love in a place of everlasting joy where we'll never say goodbye again. Right? So if you have a loved one who dies of cancer, you have a child who dies in a car accident, that's not the end of the story, is it? Okay? We're, we see that's the end. Oh, that's the end. No, that's not the end. Remember, the end is yet to come. There's a day of glory that awaits where sin is no more, death is no more, suffering is no more. It's everlasting joy for eternity in a place where we never say goodbye. And so even for the Christian, there's meaning in our suffering here and there's hope to come. This is not the end of the story. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You'll educate yourself and your family, and you'll help us keep expanding. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence.